As you know, we're in the book of Ephesians. Last week, we hit a major hinge in the book. The reason why we hit a hinge is because we all of a sudden move from what is normally considered an instructive in thinking idea, imparting doctrine, and we're now moving into an instructive in doing. We always have to go from thinking to doing. Nobody ever goes from doing to thinking. In fact, when people do that, we look at them and we say, what were you thinking? Anybody ever done that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we can resonate with that till the cows come home. But thankfully, Paul did not set up his letters like that. The passage that we're looking at today, let's just look at it all together. In fact, I messed up the reference because this is one through three, but that's okay. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now let's take a moment and get our bearings of where we're at. We looked at verse 1 last week, but let's remember what we're dealing with. Number one, the first three chapters are dealing with the idea of our wealth in Christ. This is everything that Jesus died to give us. And He pours it out freely on us. And so when we talk about our glorious privilege, our glorious position, and our glorious plan, this is all doctrine that establishes us in Christ. One of the greatest problems we get into in life is when we try to make decisions apart from our identity. Who you are in Christ matters. And I will even go as far as to say is that it's all that matters. Because if there's anything about me that would be considered worthy, of which Jesus did not die and raise and ascend to provide, it's not worth even counting. That is exercising pride in my eyes. I am exalting myself if it's apart from Jesus. So the first three chapters are critical in understanding. We've got to have our thinking recorrected to everything that has been given to us. Another reason why we know that it's so important is because Paul doesn't ask us to do a thing. Not one thing in the first three chapters. It's all things we need to know that we need to embrace, that we need to affirm is true in our lives. However, when you get to chapter 4, verse 1, you now have this push to, I implore you, I beg you, walk worthy. Now it's time to put feet on that situation. And so he's going to talk to us about the practice. How do we go about practicing our position in Christ In the body of Christ. Now one thing to remember about this letter, which makes it so applicable, even though it's 2,000 years old, is Paul is not speaking to specific individuals here in this entire letter. He's always speaking when he says you in the plural. He's always talking about body-wide. It's everybody involved. And one of the things that we saw, especially in the first chapter, is when he uses personal inclusive pronouns like we, our, those types of things. Paul is in there with us. And what Paul says is true of himself is also true of us. And so we have this incredible thread in the body of Christ that unites us all together. When we get into 417, he's now going to start prescribing us good stuff. Anybody ever had to get a prescription filled? 
You ever notice that it doesn't work if you don't take it? I'm just making sure. How come I'm not getting any better? You haven't even cracked the seal on this thing. A lot of times we do that to the Bible. Why are things not getting any better? We've never bothered to crack the seal on the application portions in light of who we are in Christ. And then he's going to talk to us about our glorious protection against the wiles of Satan. All of this deals with our practice. Chapters 1, 2, 3, position. Chapters 4, 5, 6, practice. How we walk in the Lord. Let's review just quickly, and I've got a few other things I wanted to add on, but I knew it would make last week way too long. If you guys would just give me like an hour and 45 minutes to preach, we would be great. Two hours? I'd want two hours. Well, nobody asked you, Vern. Um, (laughs) Moving on here. I'm only asking for an hour and a half. An hour 45 at the most. Therefore... Yeah, therefore, you're right, what's that there for? Remember, good grief. I wonder if this side is like, I'm not going to say there, it's the residue from my spittle when I talk is the reason why it won't stay. Hey, we're awake this morning, here we go. Therefore I, prisoner of the Lord, implore you, beg you to walk. Remember this. This is our manner of life, or our conduct, how we live in a manner worthy of the calling with which you are called. Number one, this is important, our walk is to be worthy. Now you'll probably remember this, and if you have one of the note-taking booklets, you'll see it up at the top. I gave you a different quote this time, and I actually fixed the scales, which is great. Boy, that grated on me. That's okay. If we've been given such great position and wealth in Christ, the idea of what it is to walk worthy is the idea of living in such a way as to balance the scales of our position. Not that we're trying to pay God back, but we're seeking to use everything that Jesus died and raised to supply freely to us in order to be able to live life to its fullest extent. So by letting Christ have his way in our life in light of what he's done for us actually serves to take this and begin to bring them into an equilibrium. Worthy means to have worth or value, but it's more than that. It means to have a worth equal to one's position. A worthy opponent is one whose gifts equal one's own. A workman worthy of his hire is one whose service merits the wages that he receives. There's some sort of equality that is there. Now, the great danger that we run into as Christians is we try to let our works happen apart from our position in Christ. We kind of forget who we are and we get so concerned about do, do, do. We can't afford to do that. I found this quote. It was great. It melted my face off. I had to put it back on. The heavenly people That's us. The heavenly people, by the very exalted character of their salvation being made to stand in all the perfection of Christ, have no burden laid upon them of establishing personal merit before God since they are perfected forever, forever. We are perfected forever in His beloved Son. 
but they have a new responsibility of walking worthily of their high calling. No system of merit, such as was the law, could possibly be applied to a people who by riches of divine grace have obtained a perfect standing, even every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, if we are not already affirmed before God in our acceptance by Him because of all the work that Christ did, we can't even begin to live in a worthy way. Anything that we would do would be flesh. Newsflash, flesh is not worthy. Flesh is not worthy. Our best efforts are not good enough. That's why taking the position of surrender is the only one that's appropriate that we would be so arrested by Christ and even tackled to the ground and maced in the face if we got to be. Because good grief, we're a stubborn and squirrely people. Let me do it, God. Let me do <laughs> No. I've had no coffee today. I'm just kidding. I have had coffee. But instead, the best thing we could do in our lives is give up. Give up living our lives so that Jesus can finally live His life through us. That's the best life to live. Now, we walk because God has work prepared for us to do. Does everybody remember this one? Back in 2.10? After we saw, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of works, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. There's no bragging there. Because we do no work. It's all the work of Christ that we freely receive. But here's what's amazing about this. For we are His... Somebody razzle-dazzle me that you paid attention back then. What is it? Masterpiece. The word here is... Poema. And it's where we get the English word for poem. We, the body of Christ, are His carefully crafted, constructed work of emotion and care that He has poured into it in order to move in this life. Notice that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what we've been created for. That's what the body of Christ has been brought into being for. To do good things, which God prepared beforehand, before that, so that we would, there's our word. What's interesting is, if you have the ESV in here, it actually says that. That we should walk in them. We should. Does the body of Christ always walk in the good works that God prepared for us? We don't. But if, Christ did all of this to die for us and secure an incredible new creation for us of which we should live. Don't you think it's worth our while to take the time to be very prayerful about what does God want us doing? I think we're doing that. I think I'm seeing week by week we're starting to sharpen the focus a little bit better and becoming more concerned with evangelism and discipleship and less concerned about trivial things that don't really matter. I think that's a positive and good way to gauge it. Again, we're not worried about numbers. Numbers come and go. What we're worried about is consuming faithfulness to Christ in light of all that He's done. So notice, He's actually prepared something we should walk in. He's actually done that for us. Another thing is that our walk is to be worthy of our calling. Does anybody remember what our calling is? And why we need to walk worthy of it? Because we're what? No one? Who was here last week? Okay, great. What's that? We are what? 
We're godless? Is that what you said, godless? We're godless? Well, we are godless apart from Him. I'll agree with that. Sometimes we still act godless. Ephesians chapter 1, 17 and 18. Look at it. Here's Paul's first prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? Why would the eyes of my heart... That's kind of weird anyway, isn't it? But that's what Paul's saying here. Why would the eyes of my heart need to be... Given one of these. Why? Notice what it says. So that... Here's the reason you will know what is the hope of His calling. What is the hope of my calling, Paul? What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? Now here's what's weird. We're normally talking about what the saints have in Christ. This is talking about the inheritance that God has in us. Does everybody see that there's a, Paul pulled a switcheroo here. Does everybody see that? Everything has been talking about in these first three chapters. Here's what you have in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In the Beloved. In Him. In Him. Over and over and over. And all of a sudden, there's this neck-breaking left turn that Paul pulls. And when he does that, he's saying, wait a second, the hope of the calling of which we need to understand is the fact that you are God's inheritance. That you are what God gets when time comes to a conclusion. When it's all said and done, this person gets this. When they came into the promised land, Joshua, you get this. Caleb, you get this. Schmitty, you get this. They distributed them all when it came there. That was the 13th tribe, okay? The tribe of Schmitty. <laughs> but when it's all said and done with and Christ at the judgment seat is doling out inheritances, there's going to come a point when believers are presented to God and say, here, they are yours. And God is ecstatic about this moment finally coming to fruition. Because He so loves us. Because His heart is for us. Because His Son was given for us. Because everything that He ever extended to a sinful world is now coming to complete fulfillment and he couldn't be anything but celestially and supernaturally overjoyed at the idea of a finality of sin and a gathering of his people for his very own that's exciting that's exciting god likes you yes and we subscribe to that very quickly well god loves me but do you realize he actually likes you? He's not like, well, I love Uncle Joe, but I don't really want to hang out with him. You know? He loves us and he wants to hang out. Because he likes you. He likes me. He likes Jay. He likes the body of Christ. And He wants nothing more. Get this. When we're drawing near to Him, that is us coming into the right relationship that we ought to be having with Him and that we will have with Him as His inheritance when it's all said and done. 
We're just already trying to get in there and get a closer seat at the table. There's nothing wrong with that. We're already seated there in the heavenlies next to Christ. But in our experience, when we're obeying and we're coming into the situation, in other words, our living is starting to come more in alignment with our position. Chapters 1 through 3, our position. Well, chapters 4 through 6, our living is coming more in alignment with who we really are. How could the Father not smile at that? My kid wants nothing more than to be with me. Parents, isn't that the way that it is? I want nothing more than my kid to hang out. Why? Because I like my kid and I want to hang out with my kid. God's the same way. God's the exact same way. Now picking up from there and moving forward, this is where he goes. A worthy walk always starts with our attitude. Bad attitudes go nowhere. Bad attitudes always go south. Now I know, I just hit you in the small intestines. It's okay, but that's because Paul does. Look what he says in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Good grief, there's a lot there. But let's talk about how he does this. Number one, let's pay attention to these words. We're going to look at them in detail here in just a minute, but if you want to mark them. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Tolerance. In love. Unity, peace. Now, just like God likes to do things, there's seven of them. Everybody see that? Now, here's what's interesting about this. See this one? Okay? And this one. Let's reflect back on this for just a second. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And here's what's interesting about this. Um, Let me see here. This idea of gentleness also includes the idea of self-control. I think that's why they're paired together here in Galatians 5. Against such things there is no law. Now remember, whose fruit is this? It's the Spirit's. It's not ours. It's not, this is how I know that I'm getting better in my walk with Jesus. Stop. I am not getting better in my walk with Jesus. I was doing as well as I possibly could by myself, and it was enough that he still looked at it and still had to die for it. It's not getting better. The flesh doesn't get better. The works of the flesh are something totally different mentioned before this. We're not focusing on that. The idea is if you have this brand new life and you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, now the Spirit desires to bear fruit in your life. And remember this. Everybody see this? Remember that it is singular. So, if you find yourself with supernatural joy, you will have supernatural patience. And if you have supernatural kindness, 
you will have supernatural faithfulness because it's all one fruit. This isn't a cornucopia that the Spirit's unveiling on us and just a smorgasbord or ponderosa or whatever. It's not this. It's this. Okay? So it's all together. Now, moving on, and thank you, Cheryl, for reading this passage. It's excellent. Because this is off of the fruit of the Spirit. Keep this in your mind as we go back and look what we're going to see. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, do we? Okay, three of you are sure. What about the rest of you? Okay, the rest of you are sure too. Okay, yeah, we, yeah, we do. If we belong to Jesus, look, the reality is is that we've crucified the what? There's the problem. The problem is not that the flesh hasn't been crucified. It's that we stop thinking of our flesh as crucified. We let it have more say and leeway in our lives causing us to go down sinful paths and fall and cave to temptation than what it needs to be for one simple fact. We're not thinking of ourselves as already in the past crucified. We are crucified in Christ. It's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by, does anybody know? Faith. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself up for us. That's Galatians 2.20. The life we now live is a crucified life. It's a cruciform life. It's the idea that I've already died. So my will, desires, wants, all that stuff, it shouldn't have any bearing on my life. Why is it? I'm dead to those things. I died to them. And by being dead, dying, buried with Him, and raised to a newness of life, I now have a new life to live because I'm a new creation in Christ. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, who are His, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Because those are the things that get us in all kinds of trouble. So here's the thing. If that has happened, and we, notice the personal inclusive pronoun, live by the Spirit, what's the admonition? Let us also, $5 word, walk by the Spirit. If we just think of ourselves as we truly are, crucified in Christ, and we live, the reason why I live is I live by the Spirit. Well, the only natural progression then is for me to conduct my life and make my decisions in light of the Spirit because that's who I truly am. Positional truth goes a long way. And my identification in Christ will change everything about how I live. Now, What are the key words in Ephesians 4.2? We're going to spend just a little bit of time on these. Number one, humility. What is humility? Humility is a spiritually sober estimation of oneself before God. Before this was taken up and communicated to Christians, if you were to search through all the secular Greek literature, At that time, it was always used in a pejorative term. It was always used to desecrate somebody's reputation, to tear them down as being someone who was simple-minded or to make them put in a bad light. It was meant to tarnish reputations in that literature. But what's interesting is is Paul has no problem casting the world's definitions aside and picking this up and he brings it up as the first thing. Now, don't miss the word that comes before that. Does everybody see it? With what? All humility. You know what that means? It means that any area of life 
counts. Nothing is exempt. Well, cool, I'll be humble in my work relationship, but not in my marriage relationship. Well, I'll be humble with my kids, but not in my recreation. No. The idea is that humility is to coat and encompass the totality of our being. Don't make the mistake. Well, now I guess I ought to be humble. Be humble. I'm going to buy that guy's book, Humility and How I Got There. Jeremy Edmondson, right? (laughs) Trust me, I didn't write that book. A good book to read on this if you're looking for something is Andrew Murray actually wrote a book called Humility. And he says it's a call to holiness. In fact, when you open up the book, the very first thing he says under the title page, he says this, Lord Jesus, may our holiness be perfect humility and let thy perfect humility be our holiness. Holiness, the idea of being set apart unto God. The idea of what it is to recognize that maybe the strings of the world that have gotten its hooks into us and try to drag us back, they all need to be cut for the sake of Christ. The world is all about exalting self. Good grief, I'm so sick of seeing Taylor Swift I could throw up on my shoes. Get that woman out of here. She is from hell. Good grief. That sounds serious. She's of Satan. Stop it. Everybody see what she's promoting? Everybody see what she's singing about? Everybody see what she's trying to get your kids to do? It's gross. Thank you. That doesn't sound near as bad as hell, but I believe it's from hell. And I have no problem saying it. She's a mess. And she's a popular mess. And she's a billion dollar mess that people pay attention to and people flock to. Cut that. Nothing profitable. Nothing good, nothing holy, nothing righteous, nothing redeemable out of that. Lord Jesus, may she come to faith in Christ. That would be an incredible, incredible move. In Philippians 2.8, Paul says this, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ, the King of everything. The one who is only, only worthy to sit on the throne. No one else is to assume his position. What did he do in his earthly life? He bowed low. He gave himself up. I guarantee you this. He didn't look out across the sea of the masses of people who were in sin and controlled by the sin nature and said, well, that person's worth dying and that person's worth dying. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, you know what that means? We are enemies of his. Let's not sugarcoat this, guys. Let's really come to terms with the undeservedness of our salvation. While we were sinners, Christ still died. How did He do that? He even humbled Himself to the point of death on a cross. Bleeding, beaten, naked, dying. And what does He say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Good grief. You know what's amazing about that passage in Luke 23? It's in the imperfect tense, which means that while they were gambling for his clothes, spitting on him, hurling insults, throwing things. Who knows everything they were doing to him? He kept repeating, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was repeating that because it's in the imperfect tense over and over and over. That's how much he loves. That's what he was willing to become so that God's will would be manifested. Humbling himself. In other words, sum it up this way. Others before self. 
I was having a talk with my son the other day about holding the door for people. You see them coming in, hold the door open. Let them in first before you go through. You know, it, it didn't work. But, you know, we're working on it. We're working on it, you know. I get so frustrated. I'm like, come on, God. How can I say it? But then he looked at me and he said, Dad, is it like Jesus first, others second, and me third? That's why I'm having a Fred Sanford moment. What in the world? Yes, that's it. Great. I don't know who taught him that. Praise the Lord. Wasn't his dad. Let's be honest. Humility, not pride. One of the great things when we see these qualities, immediately put the negation in there. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with others. The very first attitude I need to have is others. The body of Christ will not survive if the attitude is not others. 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 I have seen churches shut down because the focus wasn't others. Our mission statement. Loving who? People. Loving people to life in Christ. It's about others, and others need Jesus. It's always about others. Others. How about the next one? Gentleness. If you have a King James Version, meekness. Somebody said, well, meekness isn't a very attractive quality. You're right. But what meekness is not is it's not weakness. Meekness is the idea of tempered strength for the sake of others. Now let me ask you a strange question. Do you think Jesus was meek? Do you think he was buff? Let's be honest. Carpenter, right? Working with wood all day? Had a good diet? Right? We're no Cheetos in Jesus' world. Let's just be honest. Twice baked potato? No, Jesus wasn't doing that, okay? I am. He's not, okay? Jesus was buff, you know? Like that. He was. He was. He was meek and he was ripped. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Did he know how to temper his strength? Remember when he looked at Peter and he said, Lord, no, they're not going to take you. Where's that guy's ear? You know, that whole thing. You remember what Jesus said to him? Peter, don't you think if I wanted to, I could call down legions of angels right now? But he didn't. Good grief, if I would have been in that situation, I would have. Get me out of here. Lord, bring angels. Everybody done. I'm free. He would have never went to the cross that way, would he? His strength, incredible strength, supernatural strength, tempered, gentleness. In fact, doesn't he invite people to come to him? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Jesus calls himself gentle. Now recognize, that's not pride. It's never pride when you're simply telling the truth. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. And he invites people, come to me. If he wasn't gentle, you couldn't. Everybody see that? Paul's calling us to emulate our Savior. To have tempered strength for the sake of others. Again, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Notice that it's not coercion. Everybody see that? So, so often we try to coerce others in the body of Christ. This, this attitude knows nothing of that. How about this? Patience. This is a big one, isn't it? Long-suffering. 
fact, Walter Liefeld said it this way, holding back from reacting against people. Holding back from reacting against people. Some of you are like, Pastor, why are you pushing my buttons? Now I say this only because I've witnessed it. I'm not trying to puff anybody up or give some pride here. Vernon Vongen demonstrates patience like I've never seen. I have learned so much from him and how to deal with people. I come to him all the time. Vern, I'm so frustrated with my kids. They're doing this and I'm doing this. I'm trying to get this. I really want to get this accomplished. This And he sits there and just kind of listens and listens, nods his head, and then he smiles. And there's part of me who wants to be like, stop smiling at me, you know? Because he knows I'm just squirming in my clothes, dealing with it all. And he says, Jeremy, you know what I do? I'll just come up alongside him and say, nope, that's not how it is. We're going to do it again. Nope, we'll do it again. We'll we'll take care of it later. And he has this nod in his head. Because he knows it's right. And I'm sitting here like, how do you do that? The technique, the words, yes. But when you're talking about patience, it's not about technique and words. It's about disposition. And that's something that the Lord has to teach. The world knows nothing of patience. The world knows nothing of patience. You know how I know? Because we still pay for Amazon Prime and still get our stuff three days later. We know nothing of patience. Next day, yeah! Wednesday, right? That's how we do it. We know nothing of patience. The Lord has to teach that. The reason why I admire that is not because of Vern necessarily, but I know that the Lord has taught him something that I desire to have in my life. Same teacher. Lord, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Teach me how to rest in that, Lord. How about tolerance? Good grief. Has our world messed that up? Tolerance is not the acceptance of sin. Recognize this. Tolerance is not the acceptance of sin. Because here's what we hear. You're not very tolerant. If you love me, you'll accept my sin. Well, guess what? Regardless of what the sin is, none of it's okay. Our greatest problem is we said, well, that sin's not so bad. And then another sin came along and we said, well, that's not so bad. And then another sin came along, that's not so bad. And it kind of cleared the way for bigger sins to pop up and say, well, those aren't so bad either. Or who are you to say that that sin is right and wrong? Pause for a second. Every sin nailed Christ to the cross. It's bad. It was bad enough to cost the Son of God his life. Don't tell me sin's not bad. So the idea of tolerance is not the idea of everybody do what you want as long as you don't hurt another person. No. Because everybody doing what they want is hurting themselves. And more times than not, it's sin. What is tolerance? It's dealing well with differences that do not divide. If it's not an issue where we have to divide on, somebody comes up and says, well, you've got to be baptized to be saved. You've corrupted the gospel. I divide on that. Still my brother or sister in Christ, praise the Lord. We're not going out evangelizing together. We're not ministering together. It's not going to gel. Why? Because you've added a work to the cross of Christ that wasn't Christ. That's wrong. So that's something I would divide over. I'm not tolerant about that. Loving, understanding, 
Willing to tell somebody I believe they're wrong and use the scriptures to prove that? Absolutely. Don't have to be a jerk about it. But the idea of a tolerance there, there's not much of one because that's wrong. It's sin. Are you saying that that belief is sin? Yes. Understand this, guys, and I'm not trying to be harsh. But if we let somebody know, unless you are baptized, you are not going to heaven, we're saying unless your work gets there and completed what Jesus didn't get done, you're not going. That's a corruption of the gospel. That is sin. It's a lie. Somebody who thinks they sincerely believe in Christ but must be baptized to be saved and does so is still 100% going to hell. There is no wiggle room on that. The focus is trusting Christ and Christ alone. Now again, I'm not looking to be unloving about that. Not at all. But we're really talking about the particulars of what Jesus said about what it means to have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. It's one way and one way only. He is the way, truth, and the life. Water baptism has no spot in that whatsoever. Now here's what's interesting about all of these things regarding tolerance. If you look at Colossians 3, bearing up with one another. Putting up with one another was one translation. But here's what I thought was interesting. All of these are number one, relational, and number two, supernatural. Now, let me ask you real quick. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance. Should we do this? Should this be the culture, the attitude of Grace Bible Church as the body of Christ? Yeah, I very much should. Can we do this? Probably not. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. I know what should be happening, but I'm not confident that it can happen. I know there's many situations we feel like that. Now, why is that? Here's the reason why. The first problem is that all of these are relational. In order for them to be a reality, i got to deal with other people. Ugh. You know, we kind of have that. That is the flesh. That is us looking at a circumstance and saying, how am I going to do it? That's the wrong question. The question isn't, how am I going to do it? I shouldn't even be included in the question at all. How about Jesus? As I look to you as my very life, May these qualities be what you bear in me. There's a prayer. Because now all of a sudden I become a conduit. That's why it's not just relational in the body of Christ. It has to be supernatural. The body of Christ is never so sweet as when the fruit of the Spirit is being born in it. Please recognize that. And if you've got a body of believers who are seeking to walk in a manner worthy because they know who they are in Christ. They recognize that their ultimate destiny is to be everything that God ever wanted and He wants to draw it unto Himself. Now I've got a mindset that seeks to be submissive to whatever the Spirit brings about. And if I just let Christ live His life through me, you can't stop a church like that. You can't. Like, well, I'm scared to evangelize. Guess what? Fear and evangelism goes out the window when that's taking place. Well, I'm worried about talking to that other people about if they want to get together in a discipleship relationship. All of a sudden, you find that that fear's gone too. Fear keeps the body of Christ from being the body of Christ. 
<coughs> excuse me, what does he tell us? Perfect love casts out all what? Fear. Gone. Why? Perfect love. Now, it's, it's no surprise to me that if you look back at the text, how does he cap this little attitude section off? In what? In love. If the body of Christ is Christ's body, and if it's firmly positioned on immovable foundation of doctrine, and if it has got the circulatory system of humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance running all throughout its limbs, then the coat that it puts on to walk in this world is love. Love is what coats the community of Grace Bible Church. At least it should. Now what type of love do you think this is? Agape. We talked a lot about this in Sunday school. This is not the, I'm going to scratch your back only because I know that you're going to scratch mine. It's not that kind of love. It's not transactional love. It's selfless service expecting nothing in return. It is a lot more of the laying down of rights for the sake of others. Love coats the body of Christ. Let's finish up here. Love this. Being diligent. Not mosey. Diligence is not moseying. Everybody know what moseying is? What's going on? Yeah. Good to see you. How's it going? That's moseying. What's diligence? Everybody got that? Yes. The idea of diligence is a mindset that has a target. And all I care about is hitting that target. Now watch this. Diligent. Some say make every effort. If you're going to bother to put the strength, the will, the wherewithal forward, then all of it has got to be gathered up and it's got to be honed. You're seeking to set what has been placed in the sights. Nobody moseys in deer hunting, do they? You might miss. No moseying. But as far as getting one in your sights, making sure that the crosshairs are lined up, what do you do? Bam! You're diligent about hitting your target. Because you know if you don't, you might have to catch it. Being diligent to preserve. Everybody see that? Being diligent to preserve. It's the idea of to retain, to keep going. What do you do when you preserve something? Does it already exist? Yes. But notice that it needs maintenance in order to keep it in that position. Now look what it's all pointing towards. The unity of the Spirit. Are we unified in the Spirit? Wow, we don't sound certain about that. Are we unified in the Spirit? Yes. Is that a positional reality? Yes. Can anyone take that away? Can we lose sight of it? There it is. 
So my responsibility with the attitudes in place and the coat of love that I wear because of all that Christ has done for me is to make sure that I am with pinpoint accuracy desiring to keep going and maintaining the unity that we already have in Christ our Lord. It's already there. But the question is, is are we living like that? It's true. Guys, if you go to the mirror and you notice that you need to shave or that you missed a spot, don't dare walk out the house like that. Shave that thing. Get that willy worm off there. Whatever. You miss a patch? Clean it up. Why? Don't don't play. You know if you go out, you're like, hey man, how's it going today? They're going to be like, fine, how are you, right? Oh, I'm good, yeah, everything's great. Shower today? Oh yeah, it was a great shower. Hot water and pressure is perfect. Okay, cool. All right, see you later. Because we're not maintaining what ought to be there. We're not holding fast to it. We're not diligent about it. The church is not a machine that you simply wind up and let it hop away into glory. It is living, breathing, organic, personal. And it must be maintained and attended to. It doesn't need new doctrine. It always needs a reaffirmation of the things that are true. Because trust me, if you take your hands off of the church, it will start to go downward. I've seen it happen time and time again. It's always gradual. It's always a gradual slope into the ditch. We are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Unity is already ours in Christ, but we have to attend to it. Notice in the bond. Everybody remember those commercials? The crazy glue? And that guy took the helmet and he put it on there and he went. Everybody remember that? And then he's kind of dangling. My thing is like, how did his head get stuck in that helmet? Nobody ever explained that one. Crazy glue. Put crazy glue on his head and did that first, maybe. The bond of, what's the word? How many people need peace? All the parents, right? There you go. Jay, you do. That's true. In the bond of peace. Which means the maintenance, the diligent maintenance of this unity that we already share does not need to be honed or whittled or brought together in any way that is hostile or creating strife or making waves. This isn't a train wreck, guys. Do our ends accomplish peace in our community with one another? Is that the goal? Do we already have peace with God through our Savior? Yeah, we do. Do we have peace with one another? Because the peace with one another, we find, is the indispensable bond because we're all unified around the same thing, and that's Christ. Somebody asked me one time, 
when I was interviewing, candidating for the pastor position here. They said, you're from Kentucky. I said, yeah. I said, the church you used to be in, you wore shorts and a t-shirt to preach in and were barefoot. Yeah, I did. But I consider if I'm preaching, it's holy ground. So I was taking my shoes off. Okay? Totally different scenario from what we have here. Totally different. How do you expect to get along with all these people here in Wisconsin? How's this going to work? So uh, we all have Christ in common. Sometimes we forget the obvious of what really unites us together. We may have different practices or even convictions than our brothers and sisters across the street here. Guess what? We have Christ as our core. That didn't change. And if I'm called to be humble and gentle towards them with patience and tolerance for them, as long as it's not a reason to divide over something, well, praise God, let's get together and worship His name. Let's encourage one another. Let's spur one another on. Let's have peace in that situation. Unless something has become extra-biblical or unbiblical, that unity needs to be had. Satan has used denominations for too long to try to destroy the reputation of the body of Christ. You've probably seen this before from a long, long time ago, but I'll bring it up again. This is what it is to have a worthy walk. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, love, unity, and peace all make up a worthy walk that all comes out of a foundation of grace. Here's what Jesus has done. Here's why He died. Here's why He rose. Here's what He's given you. And now, because of all of these truths that can never be taken away from you, here's how you begin a new life. Here's how you bring the scale into balance and start to weigh these things out with the weightiness that we have in Jesus. Now it can start to become a practice because we've been equipped with every spiritual blessing. That means that if I'm looking here and thinking, well, I'm not humble, I'm not gentle, I'm not patient, I'm not tolerant, I don't have love, I don't seek to be unified, and I don't have peace. That's great, because the first step in order to resolving all of that with the Lord is admitting the problem. So when I come to Him and I'm saying, Lord, I don't have these things. Congratulations! He's getting ready to throw on the cuffs and take you to jail. Because it's not about me digging around for the holy lint in my pocket trying to come up with something worthy. It's about Him unveiling the grand doors of His riches and drowning me in His grace so that I can live like I never could have lived before. In community with y'all. Let's pray. Father, help us to uphold the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Lord, in our approach with one another, whether it be in harmony or conflict, should not be any different. Thank You that Jesus has given everything that we need to walk worthy. 
And so Lord, we look for the Spirit to develop in us as willing instruments. Humility. That others would take priority. That we seek to be out-focused. That we would strip off the garment of self. And that humility would become our cloak. That we would have gentleness. That our approach would be one of controlled strength. So as we see the Savior interact that way with so many. Lord, we should know better by now to pray for patience. We never have it. And that's because the reserves are never found in ourselves. But we thank You that Your reservoir never runs dry. And it's drawing from Your strength, submitting ourselves to Your will, affirming our position in You, of which we see patience produced. Father, may we be discerning and exercising tolerance. Not shying away from recognizing sin. but also recognizing that we don't need to become less humble and less gentle and less patient because of sin. Our call is to be tolerant. To deal with others' differences as long as they don't cause division. To be long-suffering. We're to do so in love. The love is to be the stream that flows through every one of us continually in the body of Christ. That the betterment, the wellness, the care, the uplifting of others. Lord, sometimes when we struggle with depression, maybe sometimes it's just because we look too much at self and not towards the betterment of others. Maybe we've fallen into the trap of self-absorption and recognizing that actually love needs to be flowing out. Lord, help us to be diligent to preserve the unity here. Help us, Lord, to not be so sensitive to trivial matters or to count molehills as something to die on when they're not. Help us to have this attitude in all of our conversations so that all things can be made clear that we would be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger in every situation in the body. And thank You, God, for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You've called us to be preservers of that. That we would aid and foster it so that it would be the cause to continue. It will be the cause that we champion. Our unity. These are lofty callings. They all are in relation with one another in the body. And they are all absolutely unthinkable in ourselves.
So Lord, help us to set our minds where Christ is seated at Your right hand. That we would look for Him to be the difference in our lives. Keep us from the mistake of trying to do better, to work harder. Rid our minds and our thinking of all of that. Get rid of our New Year's resolutions, Lord. And I pray that we would just look to Christ. Look to Him. That we would gaze upon our Savior. That we would adore Him for all that He is. That we would be completely enamored and enraptured with Him. That we would recognize He truly is our all in all. And in doing so, this life will flow. Thank you for such an incredible calling. It's in Jesus' name.